welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. So, Jensen, a good afternoon to you on this blessed third Sunday of January as we record this. Um, we are, for those who are not aware um, or who haven't seen the title yet of this episode that you're listening to, which would be kind of impressive, honestly, um, but we are spending the month of January walking through the book of Jonah, and we have come today to chapter three. So we are going to, uh, you know, this one is short enough that we could probably read it all with not too much difficulty, but to be consistent. Maybe we shouldn't since we didn't read the other ones, but we will continue to sort of, you know, I I ran out of water puns, (laughs) continue our deep dive through the depths of the ocean of wisdom found in this short book. I don't know. Good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So chapter three, he, Jonah has been vomited forth from the belly of the fish um, and then um, God speaks to him again. He, as it says in verse one, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And then he tells him the same thing that he told him in the beginning of chapter one. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, uh, and preach preach what I'm going to tell you to preach. So um, I think it's pretty interesting. You mentioned way back, feels like a lot longer than two weeks ago, but you mentioned um, coming across a, a structure of, of the parallelism mm. of the book yeah, and how chapter one and three chapters, one and three kind of, kind of structurally mirror each other in three and, and uh, two and four similarly. Um, and I don't, you know, maybe it's because you said that I was kind of more attentive to it, but I really noticed the, the beginning words of chapter three and chapter one being just about identical. Um, certainly, certainly the same the same idea being expressed and obviously written in such a way that that it feels like i i I almost thought of chapter three as kind of what chapter one should have been if that makes sense (laughs) yeah like if if jonah had basically done his job if he had if he had been faithful from the beginning to the calling and the task that god had for him um chapter one would probably look a lot more like chapter three and looking ahead to chapter four, you know, we kind of see Jonah back at it again, I guess. But um, just taking chapter three on its own, it, it almost feels like a very conventional sort of um, God calls a prophet to preach against the sins of a city. The prophet goes, he preaches, the people hear and repent. Like, it's a very kind of like the ideal story of a prophet preaching uh, preaching against a sinful city almost in, mm, in, in a right. way, um, which, which is kind of what you would maybe want <laughs> to happen right away when God calls a prophet. You'd want that prophet to listen, to be faithful, to do what he's been called to. Uh, but he, obviously Jonah doesn't. We've, we've been through that. And following his, his time in the, in the fish, he does listen. God gives him a second chance. God you know, maybe we want to say God gives him a second chance. Maybe we want to say God, you know, has not forgotten the calling that he 
has placed on Jonah. He's not forgotten the responsibility that he's expecting Jonah to fulfill. I think all of that's probably wrapped up in God continuing, or, or not continuing to, but coming to him again and saying, go to Nineveh, preach against it. Um, so before we get too far, yeah. though, before we get too far, I, ha- I had a question that came into my mind as I was reading this. The the first I read it a, f- a few times this week, and the first time that I read it, I asked myself, how much time has passed between the end of two and the beginning of three? Like, did the word of the Lord come to Jonah as he's on, you know, the, the dry land after he was vomited? Mm, or did, that's really did, did Jonah make his way, you know, back towards home only to then, like, be given this call again because it, it doesn't say yeah. there's really no way to know but i am very curious because um I, I think it's at least somewhat important um you know if it maybe i think if you've ever watched any account of this whether it be veggie tales or some other sort of bible you know vbs program um you it was probably like a right away type thing like jonah gets vomited mm-hmm. and god's like hey get up go to the nineveh the message and you know preach the message that i tell you um but that was just, I, I have no idea. It's pure speculation, but even if you don't want to answer, that's fine. But I just was kind of curious as to what you yeah. thought or what most historians thought. I, I really don't know. Yeah, I have no idea. I, it's funny. I've never actually thought of that before, but that's a really good point. Um, like may, maybe there's a, maybe there's a, a Jonah gap theory. <laughs> um, but it was a day age theory. It was like a thousand a years, and then Jonah finally <laughs> thousand went. years in the <laughs> three thousand years in the belly of the fish. <laughs> oh. oh man, um, no, I, I think that's really interesting. And I mean, it is kind of like there's there's no way to know just just from the text itself because it, it doesn't say. And like he was going literally the opposite direction of Nineveh, right? And he made it some, you know, <laughs> some way some of the way there because he was. First he went to Joppa, then he got on a boat, and the boat was in the ocean or the sea uh, when it was, you know, overtaken by the storm. So it's not like he was thinking about running away, and then like all of this happened, and then God's like, "Now go," right. and he's like, you know. So he it it you know it, if this is immediate, which I think it might be, you know, logically it might be. It's kind of like you know God's God delivers him from being drowned in the in the stormy sea. The fish spits him back up. He kind of like gets his senses, you know, you know, like figures out where he is or whatever. And God's like, now go. Right. That's what I <laughs> go think. to Nineveh. Like, yeah. you know, and like that makes sense. And now he's just got a longer journey, you know, ahead of him. Um, I do or wonder because like he was in yeah. the fish for three days. I don't know how, how, again, we don't know where he was on the sea when he was thrown overboard. We don't know where he was swallowed. Mm-hmm. But you have to wonder like if in the providential guiding of the fish if god had if god had the fish vomit him up on the shores of israel or you know was he all the way you know up in the north and the northern part of the sea it's it's again no way to know but it's just kind of fun to to contemplate yeah it's it's funny that i've i've literally never thought of that or like had anyone else ask me that before that's super interesting and i i think either way obviously the the end is the same of God comes back to him with the same task. And this time, Jonah listens. Um, You know, it says, arise, go to Nineveh. And then in verse three, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, (laughs) according to the word of the Lord. And I think that that's, um, I mean. He's not messing around this time. He's like, all right, I'm going. (laughs) I know what happened last time. (laughs) 
Yep, yeah, and uh, and so he goes, and, and you know, as far as the, the the story is concerned, he we we can maybe jump off at any, you know, we we can jump off at any point to kind of talk about anything that stands out. But I know I've got a couple things, and I'm sure you've got a lot to say. But as far as the narrative goes, he goes to Nineveh, he preaches the message, he starts preaching, people respond with repentance, they believe. Uh, the message that God sends, you know, which is which is judgment on the city for their sins. It reaches the king of Nineveh. He also repents and he commands everyone to to engage in repentance and uh, in the hopes that God will not destroy them. And then God doesn't. You know, God sees their response and he responds by not destroying them. Um, a couple of things that stand out to me in the course of that, and we can, like I said, make a pit stop wherever. Um, one is I don't really know what to do with this, and this. This honestly is is just standing out to me like literally right now. I didn't even really notice this earlier when I was when I was reading and preparing. But um, it it takes the time. The book takes the time to describe Nineveh as uh, a three. The city is 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 super big. It's th- three days walk, which I don't know what to make. Like it, it seems almost obvious to me that there's a connection between the city and the fish in the sense of the belly of the fish, he was there for three days uh, and, and the city is three days walk. And there's this, it's not really a necessary detail to tell us that the city was so big. And then, and then to further explain that not only is it a really big city, but it's three days walk specifically big. Um, so it feels like kind of important, but I don't really know what to make of that connection. If there is a connection. Oh, there, I think um, there is. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there has to be. Like, why else would so three days be making this other appearance? It's just, it's really interesting. It's like I said, it's just standing out to me now. So right. my thoughts are gonna be super jumbled. But so I was, I was you, reading. What are you thinking? Yeah, I, w- I was reading a little bit, both uh, in a book that I have about Jonah, and then a couple commentaries, and then a couple of um, study Bible notes. Um, and historians, theologians, kind of wonder, like, if this little ver- uh, little verse means like. It took three days to walk through it, and as meaning it's like that big that like if you just kept walking, it would take three days, or if it meant that it was such a large and substantial city that like you couldn't see everything in a day, you couldn't see everything in just a couple hours, as if it was just some town along the way. But like to actually go around and experience the city, it was like a three days visit, because um, <clears throat> excavations and history i mean it it would have to be a huge city if it was to actually like walk through it three days it could mean you know if you're winding and weaving for three days um but what 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 i thought was really interesting um so we have we had we know we know what jonah has gone through we know that the message that jonah was given we know about the, the the sea and the fish being in it for three days and three nights um it would seem like jonah didn't we don't really know when Jonah prayed his prayer, if it was on day one, day two, day three of being in the belly of the fish. But we do know, we do know that the people of Nineveh responded immediately. So these pagan people who hear this message from some pagan prophet that they don't know um, have an immediate response on that first day as yeah, opposed to was, like being several days later. Yeah, because it says that he, we don't know when he prayed in the fish, but we do know that he started preaching one day's walk. Right. Yet 40 days at Nineveh. So yeah, that's that's really interesting. Yeah, and I, I actually, to kind of give, before we go too far, to give some backstory too, um, as I was reading, apparently historians note, and sometimes I wonder how they know these things other than maybe old writings and 
whatever, but um, they noted that like if they have the correct date for the mission of Jonah, so if they can correctly date, you know, approximately what what time he would have been doing this, um, they they say that Assyria, so where where Nineveh is, um, actually was experiencing um, a series of famines, plagues, revolts, um, some um, celestial body weird things going on in the skies, like eclipses and um, comets. And and so like all these very real natural things that happen. Um, But to the people living in that day, they almost would have been seen as like omens of like far worse things to come. So like in a real, like physical sense, like a a person, just think about like any common person. If, if, If all these things have been happening to you in your land, and then there's this prophet who comes and says like in 40 days, um, it's not just overthrown, but it's actually like destruction. Uh, the, the word that's used, the Hebrew word is the same one used when talking about the absolute annihilation of Sodom and Gomorrah, um, where there's like nothing left. So it's not just that we're going to come in and overthrow it and we're going to take it over, but it's like this city is going to be decimated. Um, and so, you know, there's, I think some sociological explanation for the response. Like, sure it is, you know, if, if, if someone comes and preaches repentance, you ought to heed that call. Um, but there's also like, again, in God's providence, some real world workings that have led the people to get to that point, to be ready to accept the message, if that makes sense. And I think it's the same today. God uses means, God uses the occurrences that, that happen in our lives to help bring us to a point where we ourselves also repent. So it's not like that surprising to hear that if those things actually were happening, so again, famine, plagues, revolts, eclipses, whatever, it's not that out of the question to, to then understand why there was such a quick and fast-acting repentance. Because Jonah's message wasn't very long. In English, it's like seven words. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished, is what the CSB translates. Um which, you know, I think maybe if you want to continue on with this, I think his message is really interesting. I don't know how much you've thought about his message. um, But like Jonah doesn't say anything about like repentance. He doesn't tell them to like repent. I don't think we have his whole sermon or his whole, his whole what he said on the street corners or when someone asked him, what do you mean? Or what are you talking about? Who are you? What, what he said to them? I, you know, it, in in uh, in chapter one, God said, you know, when God first speaks to Jonah, He says, "Arise and go to Nineveh, cry cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me." So there's a little more specificity there in terms of God is like it, it's still very general, you know, their wickedness. What does that mean? But but it, it, you know, there's there's something that is specific in the sense of the wickedness of the people, whatever it is. God is 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 specifically sending Jonah in response to the sin of Nineveh, which which is maybe obvious, but it's worth pointing out. Um, and then when in chapter three, when God speaks to Jonah again, he says, "Arise, go to Nineveh, proclaim to it the proclamation which I am going to tell you." Right. Which to me is, is just kind of like a narrative shorthand. Like mm-hmm. like when I read the first uh, four verses of, of chapter three, you know. Go to Nineveh, proclaim it, what I'm going to tell you to proclaim it. Jonah goes. Nineveh's huge. Jonah began to, to preach, and he said, 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. This is like just telling a story right. to me. Yeah, that's true. We don't, we're, we're not, like, like and, and I can't, I, I wish I had thought of an, a specific example, but like this happens 
in scripture all over you know, the prophets like, i'm sure like we'll, yeah. we'll 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 read about a conversation between two people and then one of the people goes and tells somebody else and it says like i said such and such or this and this you know that that kind of thing um so the 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 point you know from from the perspective not of the ninevites hearing jonah but of the people of god reading or hearing the book of jonah being read um the point is like the, their wickedness has has come up to God, and Jonah is to proclaim something to them, hmm. you know, yeah. proclaim the message of God to them, which which I, I would say maybe what we're getting is the climax of his message is you've you've got forty days <laughs> like think like this is things are bad the Lord has seen your wickedness you know whatever and, and it's also interesting later on um, where to go. Shoot. Uh, verse 8. This is the, the, the Ninevite king saying, uh, Both man and beast must be covered with sackcloth. Let men call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. So we haven't heard anything about violence from God or Jonah this far, but the king is specifically pointing that out, hmm. which to me is just like, you know, there was specific, you know, and what we know about the Assyrians is, you know, in war and, and conquering other peoples and in terms of their you know reputation they were like pretty cruel and, and violent as, as it goes right from what from what i've heard archaeologically and historically and you mentioned that in the beginning of the series a little bit a couple weeks ago but um like he's pointing i, I just think the the words of the king being being written for us is 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 like a little bit of a glimpse into some of the specific wickedness in question um, that God is crying again, or that Jonah is being called to cry against on, on behalf of God, because um, I don't think there would be a response if a foreign prophet came into your city one day and said, Nineveh will be overthrown in 40 days. And maybe, maybe there wouldn't be, you know, maybe like the worldview, the, which is a tricky word, but the, the cultural, the sociological, the religious um, milieu of the ancient Near East, of of ancient Nineveh, was very, very, very different in regards to things like prophecy, the supernatural, like right. you're saying, uh, uh, assigning uh, or reading certain meanings out of out of natural phenomena, whether that be a good or a bad omen or or whatever it may be, recognizing the spiritual realm around us in a way that. Is very 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 different than, than, you know, the, since the, you know living in the West, in the twenty first century, following centuries of enlightenment and modern technology and and science and all the all the differences that that has brought in terms of how we look at the world. So, may, maybe that message would be enough on its own to be like, whoa, we got to listen to this guy. But but I mean, they wouldn't know what to do. Unless he had more to say, they wouldn't even know who to who to pray to, you know. Yeah. Um, well, that's interesting too, and we'll get to that in a second. But I, before we got too far, I wanted to note um, again the repetition of certain words. And here in, in chapter three, we've already seen the word "great" three times come up. Um, in, in verse two, um, go to that great city of Nineveh. Um, in three, he says Nineveh was an extremely great city or an exceedingly great city. And that is actually interesting. I don't know what Bible translation you were using as you read this. Um, 
but mine had a footnote on verse 3 that says an extremely or exceedingly great city to God specifically, which does, in a sense, I think, change what this means. It's not just describing the fact that this was a great city. You know, it was grand. It was big. It was um, a, a marvel to see. Um, but we're if this is a great city to God, it means that it like is an important city to him. It's one that he has compassion on, uh, even yeah. in the midst of their wickedness. It's like we might say that New York City is a great city because it's got millions and millions of people and it's big and, you know, it covers a whole island and there's so much to do and all this stuff. But we wouldn't say that the same way we would say that Chicago is a great city, which is truly a city close to God's heart, unlike <laughs> New York City. Um, but we, what we might say great in a different sense because it's a lot smaller, you know, maybe it's, it's not as old, whatever. But I, I see what you're saying. Right. And so my second thought, too, what is the significance of 40 days? Why, why is the message in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished, overthrown, whatever. And, and there is some significance, obviously, with the number 40. Uh, if you think about 40 years in the, the wilderness or um, Jesus going out into the wilderness for 40 days. Um, the so flood came for 40 days. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're 40 has connotations of judgment, of... Um, repentance of a time of testing uh, so it, it is really interesting to think about that because again if you especially if you were reading this for the first time or if you were somebody who was an israelite hearing this for the first time or maybe even the thousandth time um, especially well i should say in the case of hearing this over and over again sometimes the details get lost on you like you know the story so well that like it, it escapes you um you kind of skim over some of the significant points, uh, but especially for a first-time reader or a first-time listener, like all along the way, this story, like you're probably asking a ton of questions, especially when they challenge your normal assumptions for like how things work. But when you'd come to something like in 40 days, you got 40 days, or it's going to be destroyed. Like that means something, not only to the Israelites, but probably also to the Ninevite. Um, I don't know. I thought that was interesting. And, and I mentioned that there were three greats. There were, there were three times that this word great was used. Um, in, in verse 5, we, we see the response of Nineveh. So we see that the, the people believed God and they proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. So again, this word great continues to appear. Um, one thing that I'm really curious about, again, asking questions of the text. So how many people were like in the direct vicinity of like when Jonah preached? Did he go all throughout and like cry on different street corners or was there like a big gathering or was he just like saying things and like a couple people heard and it's just like a spider web or like a, you know, branching out from there um, because eventually this makes its way up to the king and the king has some things that he wants to say as well. Um, but what I found really interesting, uh, if you, if you read this in Hebrew, if you, if you had a Hebrew text, if you're someone who can read Hebrew, or if you looked in your ESV study Bible like I did, um, apparently the word believed is actually the first word of the sentence, um, and it's saying that it, it underscores the immediacy of their repentance. Um, so like, it, this message has been proclaimed, and the first word you see is believed. So again, in contrast to Jonah, who didn't, maybe Jonah believed, but in a sense was disobedient to the call that God was giving him. Where Jonah ran, he fled, went to a ship, was in a, in a fish, 
uh, these people hear a message, they hear the word of the Lord come to them and they're like believed. Like it's right there, day one, people repent. Um, and I think that's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's really interesting um, and significant. And I think we talked a little bit in chapter one when we were talking about the sailors, how there's this connection also between um, unlike Jonah, the sailors kind of respond in this way, this, you know, this expression of faith and worship and fear of God it, when they understand, you know, what's going on and, and who Jonah is serving and all that kind of stuff. And, and again, these, uh, you know, maybe, maybe the sailors were, were Hebrews or some of them were, but, but certainly we know that these are foreign pagan, you know, um, idol worshipers and people who have such wickedness and apparently violence that God has sent a prophet against it to warn them of its, their impending destruction. You know, like clearly like these are the people you don't, you know, on paper, these are the people you don't expect to respond in faith to God. And Jonah is the person you respond, you expect to respond in faith to God. And you know, that theme, you know, we're not, we're not, we don't need to rehash it here, but that, that it's continuing, it's, it's returning um, and and it's it's certainly significant, <laughs> and um, I think we'll definitely be able to sort of see how that plays itself out next week in terms right. of the, the the things that Jonah and God have to say to each other that and, and kind of like almost the the resolution of of that theme in the book uh, of this whatever. But but certainly here we see this response of repentance. We see this response of um, Jonah's message is heard. And it is heated. Um, well, well, it's it's interesting because it's inter- the, So we we've seen Jonah repent in a sense, right? Back in chapter two, we saw him repent. And some of the question that's going on here, like, is it genuine repentance? Is it full and c- complete repentance? Like we joked that he turned 178 degrees or whatever, as opposed to 180. Um, and I think we'll see, obviously, next week that Jonah's repentance wasn't complete at the time. But there are some clues, I think, in the text that show that these people, that their repentance was true, that it was genuine. Not just the fact that they responded quickly, um, but the fact that they um, proclaimed a fast and dressed in sackcloth. Um, the, it, it notes that the people do this. And then a little bit later, the the, the decree from the king comes. Um, so in my mind, and I'm curious what you think about this, um, they're actually responding to Jonah's message, not just the decree of the king. Because it'd be one thing if a king puts out a decree. I mean, when the king says something in the land, you should probably do it so that you don't you know, lose your life, lose your land, or, or whatever might have happened. Um, so to me, anyway, that this seems like a detail, obviously, that's thrown in here, that they proclaimed a fast, they dressed in sackcloth, um, and they, they all did that before the decree came. And I think that's yeah. a, kind of an important note to, again, highlight and show the importance of all these pagans who are truly responding with contrition, with true and genuine repentance before the Israelite prophet, which, again, to the original audience, is not what would be expected. Right. It's, it's like Jesus going and talking to the Samaritan woman at the well. And right. she is the first person in the Gospel of John who Jesus tells he is the Messiah to. She is the person who responds in faith, and many believe as a result of her response, you know, um, unexpectedly, because Jews do not use dishes that Samaritans use, or whatever the little 
parentheses is in, in John four. But um, but yeah, and, and I don't think we want to say like, oh, if, if the king had issued his decree before we like if we read about the king decreeing repentance or, or, or sackcloth uh, before we read about the people uh, doing it. I, I don't think we want to say that that means we can kind of dismiss them as just simply following the king's rules because we got to understand like that this that's such a like the the idea that that would that that sort of response would be an individualistic thing and not at all a collective thing it is so foreign to just the way the world worked you know um and still does in many places but it we can't I, I, we can't say that, oh, we can trust it because it lists the people's response before the king's response. And if it was backwards, we would just have to say, oh, it was just the people. You know, right, they were just, right. they didn't really know or understand or care. They were just listening to the king. We don't want to say that. But what we do want to say is it is significant that the people call a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then when the word reached the king of Nineveh here. So like it, it is very intentional or intentionally presented that the 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 response is a grassroots response it is a bottom-up response right not that not to say that a top-down response would necessarily be bad but that what the text is you know the way that the text was constructed is we are seeing that you know i'm picturing jonah going around for those three days whatever that means uh uh proclaiming crying out as it says and people hearing it and they're telling their neighbors as jonah is moving on and they're telling their families and they're saying whoa like we got to stop this we got to do like what are we going to do and then like you know i almost wonder if if like when the it says when the word reached the king of nineveh it it, we don't actually ever see jonah talk to the king you know like I, i almost feel like in such a great city you know a great in the sense of everything we've talked about like it's big it's dense there's lots of people you know there's there's more than 120,000 people as we'll see next time like that's a lot of people to talk to like I'm sure Jonah didn't talk to all 120,000 plus the royal family you know what I mean um but they heard you know the king heard about this and and he he the message kind of made its way up to him like I can imagine there's you know over the course I I can imagine this being a a 40-day you know process of the message spreading Maybe Jonah's still there. Maybe people are offering him a place to stay. They want to hear more. Maybe he leaves. Um, like, not not went back to Israel because in, we, he's still here when we when we come back to number chapter 4. But maybe he's outside the city now, kind of camping out. I, I don't know. But um, but it is it is very much, it, it's the way that it's, that it's presented, it feels like this organic kind of every. I feel like we're supposed to read it in a way that everybody is hearing and responding at once. Like you said, immediately they're believing together, you know? Um, And, and, and they're all coming up with this, with this appropriate response. And obviously it's appropriate because the chapter ends (laughs) with God seeing their deeds and then relenting concerning what he was going to do to them. You know, like, um, it's clear that the response is not only like motivated by repentance in the sense of we we're confronted with, you know, the threat of the consequences of our wickedness, but also that it's you know, not, not just a good motivation, but, but good deeds that they're doing too. Hmm. They are, 
you know, God sees their deeds, that they turn from their wicked way, you know. And if God is seeing your deeds and telling you that, that you turn from your wicked way, I think it's safe to say that you have, in fact, turned from your wicked way. You right, know what I mean? Exactly. Like, um, w- whatever happens next or whatever, you know, you want to say about the future, like, obviously, they are hearing, again, similarly to the, to the sailors, they listen to the words that Jonah says, and then they get it. <laughs> You know, the sailors got it where they're like, what are you doing? Why did you run away? <laughs> what have you done to us? And then these guys in Nineveh are getting it in the sense of they're hearing his message. And they're saying, oh, what have we done? We need to repent. And then right. that, that's what well, they do. I have a question for you, Lucas. So how many people of nobility have you met? How many kings? How many princes? How many presidents? Have you met any? Just yes or no? Just a couple, maybe I don't know. Pre- presidents, no, but I've met I've met plenty of kings because we're all going to reign with Christ in glory. Boom. Okay. Well, you took that away. I wasn't going, but you're, you're <laughs> right. You're right. So, but no, I have I have not uh, had a long history of dealing with with nobility, <laughs> as I'm sure many of us. You know, I'm sure that's true for many of us. But in your head, listener and Lucas and whoever else, uh, picture some and any sort of ruler, any sort of leader. Um, a lot of them have an, a haughty attitude, maybe a very, you know, they're the king of a, a country. They're the king of a land. They, they, they've they risen to a place of prominence, importance. Um, and so what, to me, what is striking in this passage is the response of this king. And I've never noticed this before, but it says in verse six, when the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne took off his royal robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. So the king, the the most regal, noble, highest-ranking person in this land, exchanges his robes, his royal robes for sackcloth, and his throne for ashes. So, like, this is, if we've ever seen it, true repentance, a true recognition of unworthiness, um, really, in one sentence, he's gone from supreme authority to utter humility. Um, and that is, or ought to be, the true picture of anyone's repentance. That, like, there is complete unworthiness. I, there is no good that I can do. Um, the achievements that I have, the all the accomplishments that I could boast in, all of those things become nothing. And they're exchanged for symbols of mourning, symbols of uh, repentance, of, of grieving. Um, and I think we lose some of that understanding of what it meant to be in sackcloth and ashes. Like this wasn't, I mean, it was a tradition, not just in Israel, but apparently also in Nineveh. Um, but it, it, it truly was a, a, a contrition, a, um, it wasn't, if you're sitting in sackcloth and ashes, you're not celebrating somebody's birthday. Like this is a serious, serious thing. Um, and so like, like I kind of joked, you know, just picture any human king, any president, any ruler or leader, like, do we think that they would respond this way if they were in these shoes? And of course, that's a rhetorical question. We could never truly know. Um, but I just like to imagine, you know, what the president of the United States would do what the, the, the leader of China or North Korea or Russia or whatever, like what their response would be from their throne, from their office or wherever they sit upon their, you know, regal place. Um, but yeah, again, I think the original reader would have been really shocked by the response of this pagan king taking off, well, getting up from his throne, 
taking mm. disrobing his royal garments and and showing true and genuine repentance yeah for sure and and it is also interesting again just the way it's just the order of things we, we see the people repenting we see the king repenting and then we see his proclamation you know he doesn't issue a proclamation from his throne and then get up put on sackcloth get on the ashes which i mean like it, i think that would be just as good you know <laughs> but like it is interesting that like he doesn't have time like he doesn't have even have time to command his people before he's just full-on like entering into his own repentance kind of like what like the response feels very immediate the word reaches him he gets up he takes out you know in the nasb i like this it says laid aside his robe from him you know like he immediately that's his response and then he's like i gotta tell all the people you know we we have to fast we have to repent you know maybe god will you know and i think that just kind of hammers home subtly in the details just how 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 like bottom up top down complete and immediate this response to jonah's message is even though we've spent two chapters you know nineveh has been this scary shadow off in the distance where jonah doesn't even want to go there because they're so bad you know um, I'm sure Jonah is just like, what is happening? Like, what are all these people <laughs> doing? This is not what I expected to happen. Well, yeah. in a sense, it is what he expected, or at least that's what Part he knew it. would happen if, because God is gracious. But yeah, he hoped that we'll it wouldn't come back to that. But but I also just think like, I mean, even if you are, even if he was this faithful prophet that immediately obeyed God's uh, directive right away and 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 had full faithfulness to his calling and all that kind of stuff. I still have to imagine that you would be surprised at this. You know, I think about people like Jeremiah, people like, is it Isaiah? People like, um, the, the prophets we read about who, like, you know, do weird things, like lay on their side for a week in the street, and Israel just ignores them. And I, th- I think it's Isaiah. God tells him, like, you're going to go preach, and they're not going to listen. <laughs> and it's like, that doesn't change the prophet's faithfulness, but right. but what it what I have to imagine is if I'm a faith if Jonah's faithful and he's going to Nineveh to preach the truth against their wickedness as God has commanded him to, you know, in, if he's being if he's living into his calling as a prophet, he wants to see their repentance, like he wants to see this, but I don't think he would ever expect to see this. You know yeah, what I mean? For sure. It, it, and even taking into account his own like reticence of going. And what he says to God in chapter four, that seems to indicate he kind of knew God was going to pull this kind of thing. You know, like, I I still have to imagine the sight of a city, a great, an exceedingly great city um, that's not part of the people of God. That's not who you would, you know, that that, these aren't people who worship Yahweh. These aren't people who know the Lord in, in the way that you might expect given their immediate sorrow and repentance, you know, um, I have to imagine this would, this would still have been shocking. Even if Jonah did think that, you know, God is merciful. He is good. He grants repentance. Surely this will happen. That's why I don't want to go as we'll talk about next week, but I still have to think this is just so shocking. Like I I can't even imagine. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, even, even, even trying to translate sackcloth and ashes to like modern, 
uh, stuff, you know, like, yeah, I, mean, what would it be I can't even imagine what, what that's like, you right. know, like to, 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 to have a whole community, you know, nation, state, city, neighborhood, like, like I, I can't even on a small scale imagine what it's like to, to, to witness and or participate in some kind of um, com- just complete united front of like seeking the Lord, you know, in, in this case in repentance and, and um, hmm. how, yeah, I don't know. It's quite, quite a, quite an image to reflect on, I think. Yeah. I mean, for sure. And I, that's something I didn't even really think about either. Um, but, but again, knowing the original audience, this is meant to highlight the distinction between Israel and the nations. It's not that one was better than the other, but it was really to underscore like Israel, why you could be this way too. If only you would repent. Um, but one thing that also piqued my interest, if you recall from chapter one, when our, um, when our sailors repented, when the, when the, the captain and the, and the other crewmen um, make vows and they sacrifice to Yahweh, it's interesting that in this segment, it's only Elohim. It's only God. And I know that that's raised some eyebrows from some people um, questioning the genuineness of this repentance, which I think is unfair given what we've already said here. Um, but at the very least, we have to wonder why it is that, you know, in in this proclamation of the king, um, over and over, I think like three or four times, he says, God, 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 um, not Yahweh, not um not the Lord, um, but, but Elohim. Um, but again, it's, I keep saying this is interesting, but this is, it is all very interesting. Um, if, if you note at the end of verse nine, when he says, um, who knows, God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. This is the third time that somebody has been concerned about people perishing. Uh, the first comes from the mouth of the captain of the ship in in verse uh, or chapter one verse six. Um, the second comes in the sailor's prayer to God in one fourteen, asking that they would not perish for Jonah's sake. And now the king is care, is worried about the same exact thing. Um, so again, <laughs> highlighting how these pagan people, um, the the sailors, the the um, the captain of the ship, the people of Nineveh, the king of Nineveh. These people have a collective care for other people. Even if Nineveh is really cruel, even if Nineveh um, is a hostile, um, you know, very gruesome country that ravages other countries, um, at least in a sense, they do have some care for their neighbor. They do have some care for other people, um, not wishing that these people should perish. Um, And I also found it pretty fascinating that the king realizes that the outward signs of repentance are not enough because he, he tells them from, from, you know, no person or animal. So like literally any, any living thing, um, is to, you know, they can't eat, they can't drink. Um, so sackcloth and ashes. So in a sense, that's outward signs, you know, that you're in a state of repentance. Um, but he says, furthermore, people and animals must be covered in sackcloth and everyone must call out earnestly to God each must turn from his evil ways and from his wrongdoing. Um, so I think this is underscoring the importance of um, the outward signs of repentance are important, um, but so are the inward realities going on internally. That this isn't just for show. We're not just sitting in sackcloth and ashes for fun. 
Um, but you, you're going to call out to this God. You're going to turn from your evil that you commit towards others and those within your sphere of influence. Um, you know, this, when we look at history, when we look at the the history of Nineveh spe- specifically, we've mentioned how, how awful they were um, to other countries, but um, Nineveh, like any other country, is also ravaged by social injustice, by um, greed, by, um, you know, a slave system. So, like, the, the, the society is built, I mean, just like any society, any, any place that sin exists, it's going to be destructive to that society. And it's going to manifest itself in different ways. Um, but specifically for Nineveh, they were known for being um, especially wicked. And so the, the king is calling these people to turn from those evil ways from their personal wrongdoing, not just their collective wrongdoing. Um, and who knows? Maybe, maybe God will relent. Do it anyway. But, you know, who knows? Um, I don't know. I just, I, again, I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of a Ninevite of Jonah's day. Like what it would have been like to, to hear this prophet preach, uh, to have such mass and sweeping repentance taking over the city, um, and to wonder like, what is going to come of this? You know, we, I think we sometimes forget that the, like these things were real, that these people like lived and moved and breathed and had jobs and loved ones. They aren't just like characters in a story. Um, like these things actually happened. And, and I think, uh, as we'll go on to see, you know, I think Nineveh continued to have issues and problems um, because they come up later, you know, taking Israel into exile. And, um, you know, history will tell you that the Assyrians continue to be wicked. But maybe this set of people, maybe this group of Ninevites who were alive here walked away truly changed. We, I mean, we don't know, um, but but God did see their actions and how they turned from their evil and he did relent. Yeah. Um, I don't really have anything else to say, so I think I'll just kind of start to wrap up. Um, we do see Assyria comes back later in Israel's history. Um, we see prophets... Uh, Nahum is who I'm thinking of specifically. I can't remember the chronology, but I'm pretty sure that Nahum is preaching, prophesying after Jonah. I don't know how long after, but I'm pretty sure it's later. He's prophesying against Nineveh. So Nineveh, Nineveh not just Assyria, but Nineveh comes up again. You know, right. Assyria comes up again, like you said, with the exile. But all that aside, um, something that I do think is worth pointing out and kind of where I'd want to end is today there are still Assyrians hmm. and they're Christians, right? They're, they've been ravaged by persecution and war in, in their land. <laughs> and, uh, but the, the, you know, the, the Assyrian church of the East is headquartered in Chicago now, um, which is just kind of a, you know, historical little, fun fact but also kind of a sad fact that they that there's a re- <laughs> there's a reason the head of the church can't be in their land you know it's not it's not it's not for good reasons but um but yeah and i think that there's there's a lot there that's bigger than jonah it's bigger than jonah 3 and the king's response but i i i always mentally i i frequently come back to this picture this this sort of millennia long story that that I don't know very much about but what I do know is 
is such a picture of God's mercy where the the Assyrian people today, the ones that are left, which are, are not that many compared to, you know, other people groups and what they used to be, but they are a people group that has turned from their wickedness and the violence right. in their hands. And hmm. um, it's it's fascinating, and it is, I think, just a story of mercy in God's grace. And we see it sort of in micro form here in Jonah 3, and it's going to continue to get worked out in Jonah 4 into some really just awesome conclusions, I think. It's just in terms of teaching and, and the Christian life, the Jonah is just so chock full of so much to, to just glean and, and, you know, bring into your own life. And the way that it concludes, I think, is super powerful, which, again, we'll see you next week. But anyway... Right. I well, just wanted. Before, to, I, I kind of wanted to end with that, and and then I'll just hand it over to you with anything else that that we haven't yet talked about that yeah, you wanted that was, to bring up. That was good, and and I don't have anything else to say from Jonah, but I want to hear something from the lips of our Lord. What he had to say about this, he said in in Matthew twelve forty one, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at Jonah's preaching, and look, something greater than Jonah is here. This is Jesus speaking to the scribes, to the Pharisees. Um, I think the point is the Ninevites believed after one short sermon. We don't know. Again, we said we don't know how long it, how long Jonah preached. Um, if we can even call it a sermon, I don't really know. Maybe he just proclaimed, you know, judgment. Um, there were no signs. There, you know, he wasn't walking around doing miracles, healing people. The scribes and the Pharisees heard many sermons. They saw many signs, yet they still refused to believe. Uh, but just as we've seen, not just in Jonah, but in all of scripture, um, in response to repentance, God extends his mercy, his forgiveness. Um, but I think the point of one of the points of this story and, and one of the points of application that maybe we can think about is no longer can the Israelites look down on other nations for their evil, delighting in their coming judgment when they themselves have been just as evil and are just as much in the need of the Lord's mercy and grace. Um, since Israel had received mercy and grace, should they not desire it for others who need it? So in a, in a, in a very similar way, we as believers, uh, as Christians, we have experienced, we have tasted this mercy, this grace, this, this reconciliation being brought not just to a superficial repentance, but a true and genuine repentance into the life of the Trinity, um, and should our hearts not burn with desire for others to experience this as well? So we, unlike Jonah, um, as we'll see next week, we should have hearts that long and yearn to see that this grace go to the ends of the earth. And that's part of the Great Commission. That's part of um, being a good and faithful servant, um, living this out truly, um, extending this as, as far as Tarshish and even beyond. Um, but we'll, we'll close with a, a word of prayer. Um, and we'll go out from there. So this is called an act of approach. Um, this comes from the Valley of Vision. It says, Lord, I praise thee continually for permission to approach thy throne of grace and to spread my wants and desires before thee. I am not worthy of thy blessings and mercies, for I am far gone from original righteousness. My depraved nature reveals itself in disobedience and in rebellion. My early days discovered in me discontent, pride, envy, and revenge. Remember not the sins of my youth, 
nor the multiplied transgressions of later years, my failure to improve time and talents, my abuse of mercies and means, my wasted Sabbaths, my perverted seasons of grace, my long neglect of thy great salvation, my disregard of the friend of sinners. While I confess my guilt, help me to feel it deeply with self-abhorrence and self-despair, yet to remember that there is hope in thee, and to see the Lamb that takes away sin. Through him may I return to thee, listen to thee, trust in thee, delight in thy law, obey thee, and be upheld by thee. Preserve my understanding from error, my affection from love of idols, my lips from speaking guile, my conduct from stain of vice, my character from appearance of evil, that I may be harmless, blameless, rebukeless, exemplary, useful, light-giving, prudent, zealous for thy glory, and the good of my fellow men. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Doxology Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at Doxology Podcast or shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear your feedback, questions, and ideas for future episodes. Uh, we'd also love for you to sign up for our newsletter. You get some some nice updates and you can you know be on the up and up um, between that and social media for any updates or future events or you know interesting things going on uh whatever it is we'd love to hear from you and until next time we'll see you later